Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to talk about UFC Vegas 73, Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill. And it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two ranked strawweights going at it. You got one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt women on planet Earth. I mean, a former world champion in jiu-jitsu, nine MMA, taking on Angela Hill, who... I mean, has always had a knack for the Muay Thai skills. And, I mean, she's been patching up so many areas of her game. She's been around the block since the the, the beginning of the infancy of the strawweight division. So she, Angela Hill is a true OG. And Mackenzie Dern, a lot of people have had high expectations for her since the moment she joined the UFC. And now they meet in a five-round main event. So I'm excited to break it down. We're going to break down the entire card as well. Y'all already know the drill. So let's get down to business. Main event of the evening in the strawweight division. We got Mackenzie Dern. She's 12 and 3, taking on Angela Hill, who's 15 and 12. And currently, they got it. Mackenzie Dern minus 175. The comeback on Angela Hill is plus 150. So initially... It opened relatively the same, you know, minus 188 Dern plus 140 Hill. So, I mean, it's been it's been roughly the same thing this whole time. Um, it's an interesting matchup for a lot of reasons. I'm, I haven't really I don't really listen to what anyone has to say, not because I don't care what other people have to say, but just more so like, you know, I like to gain my own thoughts. But I would assume people are saying that, well, if Mackenzie Dern gets it to the match, she's going to win. And if Angela Hill keeps it standing, she's going to win. And it's just that simple. Like that that's what this matchup comes down to, right? And I'm not sure it's so black and white. And what I mean by that is this. I mean, I think that there's a world where Angela Hill can go to the mat with Mackenzie Dern and still win this fight. Let me explain what I mean. Y'all saw the two fights that Mackenzie Dern had against high-level strikers, against Yan Xiaonan, uh, the future champion, and Marina Rodriguez, a very respectable opponent. And both of them went to the mat with Mackenzie Dern. In fact, both of them were in big trouble at points in that fight on the mat with Mackenzie Dern. And here's the bottom line. They survived. The next round starts on the feet. From there, we know Mackenzie Dern doesn't have the best takedown game. Um, just, just to put it lightly. And I mean, when you want to look at the stats, if you want to talk stats, so... What do y'all think uh, Mackenzie Dern's takedown accuracy is? It's only 11%. And how many takedowns do y'all think um, Mackenzie Dern averages in 15 minutes? Now, this is a 25-minute fight, but in 15 minutes, how many, takedown, um, how many takedowns do you think she averages? Less than one. Less than one. So, and... And to take it a step further, Angela Hill, someone who was regularly getting tapped out at the beginning of her UFC career, she's patched up a lot of things to the point where now she's got a 77% takedown defense. I mean, that's a, that's pretty that that's closer to 80% than it is to 70. So I, I'm pretty damn impressed with what I've seen lately. So it comes down to a couple of things for me, you know, um, obviously like any fight does. Right. But I, I think that if it goes to the mat, right. Is it are, are we talking insta sub for Mackenzie Dern? Are we talking 10 8 rounds uh, for Mackenzie Dern? Or are we talking Angela Hill can survive those bad spots? She knows she's got five rounds to work with. And when they get back on the feet, 
I can definitively say that Angela Hill is much more, you know, just precise, technical. The variety of strikes she brings to the table are on a different level than, than Mackenzie Dern in, in terms of the Muay Thai. So that's the thing, right? That's the thing. Um, and shout out to, you know, future strawweight queen, Yan Xiaonan, you know, um, because she was a white belt when she fought Mackenzie Dern, right? And what a better way to earn your blue belt than, hey, hey you want your blue belt, uh, Yan Xiaonan? Well, survive on the mat with Mackenzie Dern and we'll give it to you. And that's exactly what happens. So, like, when you talk about, you know, because I know there's a lot of examples where, like, you know, people don't really deserve their promotions or, you know, certain favoritism or certain this or that. Nah, there was none of that with Yan Xiaonan, man. I mean, she, like I said, she survived on the mat as a white belt against Mackenzie Dern, who's a world champion black belt, and that's how she earned her blue belt. So I couldn't think of a better way to earn a blue belt than that. And then with Marina Rodriguez, when she got taken down, or when she ended up on her back, rather, against uh, Mackenzie Dern, were there some sketchy moments? No doubt about it. It's just that Mackenzie hasn't really, you know, leveled up the the wrestling side of things because you know in the in the pure jujitsu tournaments you're able to kind of you know pull guard sweep take it from there and i'm not saying that she can't do that here i, I think there's absolutely a chance she can do that here um it's just that in mma it, it, it's a lot harder you know if someone you know if you're trying to butt scoop like cron gracie or like mackenzie did in her last fight with jan i mean it's not like uh it's not like uh, in jujitsu where do y'all remember that match Brendan Schaub had against Abreu? Uh, I think it was Cyborg Abreu, right? Where he literally just ran away from him the whole time, and like people criticized the fuck out of him. Like so, in jujitsu, you're gonna kind of get looked down upon for that. Whereas in MMA, like if you want a butt scoop, like I'm just gonna circle around, make you get back up, and then you gotta stand with me. And like I said, on the feet. The difference here is about the same as the difference on the mat, you know, in terms of the calibers. But that being said, I mean, I got to give Mackenzie credit, even though her striking isn't the prettiest. She she does have a little pop, you know, for that division. You know, I've seen her go out there and knock women down, which is something we don't often see in the strawweight division. Um, so while I don't think that she can win prolonged exchanges with Angela Hill, possibly she can land a big shot and rock her. That, that's just, that's possibly. That's best case scenario for her on the feet. So it comes it comes down to this in my eyes. Like back back to what we were talking about. When this finally hits the mat, and there's five rounds where Mackenzie can accomplish her goal here of submitting Angela Hill, pounding her out, or winning three of the rounds and get a 48-47. When they hit the mat, is Angela gonna survive like Marina Rodriguez and Yan Xiaonan did, or is Angela getting submitted? And that's where I don't know. That's where it's like, shit. I mean, that's that's why we tune in because we really, I, I don't know. Do y'all know? I mean, can y'all say without a shadow of a doubt that this hits the mat, that Angela is getting subbed for sure? Let's take a look at the last time Angela got subbed because I know back in the day, it used to be a big issue, but it's been a fucking while. I mean, listen, listen, Angela got taken down three times against Virna Jandidoba, who is also a legit black belt. And she didn't get subbed there either. Now, granted, there were no submission attempts. It was just more control. But just saying. So the last time that Angela Hill got submitted uh, was all the way back pre-pandemic in 2019 against Randa Marcos. Um, 
And then prior to that was all the way back in 2015 against Rosnama Yunus. So it's been a long ass time since Angela Hills gotten submitted. Um, and it, so to me, it's just, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Like, cause these are, like I said, these are the scenarios for me on the mat. Are we talking Insta sub? Are we talking banking three rounds? Are we talking ground and pound TKO? Or are we talking Angela Hill survives these bad spots? The next round starts on the feet. That's where she has got a clear edge, bust her up and, you know, go out there and win this decision. So I don't fucking know, man. This is tough because it's like a thing where it's like Mackenzie, you can make the argument. Mackenzie is so good on the mat that she only needs that that one time, you know, to to potentially whether it's grabbing a neck, whether it's grabbing an arm, shit, a knee bar, whatever, whatever the case may be. She only needs one of those. Um, and I'm also curious what Mackenzie learned after the Yan Xiao Nan fight. Does she feel like she needs a little more urgency now? Does she feel like, hey, it's not enough to kind of ride these rounds? Uh, ride these rounds out we need to go out there and try to finish but at the same time that would be you know almost categorically false of me to say in the sense that if i if you think i'm implying that mckenzie wasn't trying to finish her last few fights that's bullshit she had two submission attempts against yan janan she had three submission attempts against tisha torres she had one submission attempt against uh, marina rodriguez so she's been trying to finish these fights um so i guess it, it's like where do we see the big improvement? Like, what kind of improvement are we talking about Angela Hill on the map? Because, like I said, she hasn't been submitted since pre-pandemic, and she survived with a serious, another serious black belt in Virna Janjidoba. And we've also seen good strikers like, like Yan, like Marina, who I think are better than, than Angela Hill, but still, the blueprint's been laid out on how to beat Mackenzie Dern. So I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm not interested in betting this fight. Um because it's like the volatility man it could just literally go either way and usually when i talk like that i lean towards the dog it's just that the way the dog would lose here would be you know would be getting finished man or be or lose three of these rounds so it's tough it's tough i guess it's a dog or pass situation unless you're just so convinced that mckenzie is going to make it count is going to come out here finally get that submission that it's been eluding her not not for so long but you know ever since what the nina nunez fight was that the last time and that was how long ago that was okay not too long ago 2021 but nina you know she's retired already she's already having her second kid um not that angela hill some spring chicken not at all but you know i, I still think angela hill's committed to this game now granted angela hill is 38 so she's getting up there in age um so it's a tough one to call I guess I'll go with Dern to find something along the way or possibly bank three of these rounds, but I'm worried. Her takedown offense is not good. Um, her striking defense is not good, but her jujitsu is phenomenal. So, again, do we think that Angela Hill can survive the bad spots like, like Marina and like Jan did? If so, she's got a very good chance here. Or do we see it as, listen... Mackenzie's just on a different level and Angela on the mat. And when we get to those bad spots, she's going to come out here and submit her. So I don't know. <laughs> I really don't fucking know, man. This fight could go either way. I'm going to go with Mackenzie uh, via sub, but I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Choi B said Dern is undergoing a divorce. She might, she might not be focused. Yeah, she might not be focused, but if she gets full mount or a, or a back mount on Angela Hill, she could not be focused and she might still submit her. You know, that's how good her jujitsu is. So 
Yeah, I, I, I apologize that I don't have a clear read on this one. I really don't know. But I'm being honest with you. I'm not going to bullshit y'all. I just, I really don't know. So I guess that makes it an intriguing main event. A lean Dern, but it's a lean, you know, and the price is what? The price is minus 175. You know, th there's no value at that line for me. But maybe for you there is because maybe you've concluded that this is she's going to take her down and tap her out. But if y'all feel like Angela Hill can come out here and follow that Yan Jonan and Marina uh, blueprint, that game plan, she's live because she's way better on the feet. So, yeah, tough one to call. I'll lean Dern. Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We got Edmund Shabazian. He's 12 and 3, taking on Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, who's 10 and 2, but he's actually 11 and 2 because he knocked out Jordan the Beverly Hills Ninja on contender series. But he, he was smoking the level, <laughs> he was smoking the devil's lettuce. So they uh they overturned that destruction. Currently, they got it. Anthony Hernandez minus 225. The comeback on Edmund Shabazian is plus 185. So now, now I think the line is about accurate. You know, earlier when it was in the like, what I think it was like minus three something earlier. That's when I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. But see, see here's the thing. Both guys um, have different areas of the game, you know, different holes that each guy can exploit. Like, for example, um, Edmund Shabazian, I mean, you know he's hell on wheels in that first round. You're like, we all know that. We know that he's a very dangerous guy. He's a potent finisher. But we also know that, for the most part, when fights go past the first round with Edmund, shit gets sketchy, you know, sans the uh, the Dolce Lungjambula fight, right? But another thing, Dolce Lungjambula doesn't have that relentless takedown game that Anthony Fluffy Hernandez brings to the table. And Anthony's a guy that, like, after he beat Rodolfo Vieira, man, I feel like his confidence just woo, just went all the way to the top, man. Because think about this. So he was coming off a brutal loss to, to Kevin Holland, like brutal in the sense that the fight only lasted 39 seconds and brutal in the sense that Anthony Hernandez landed a grand total of zero strikes in that fight. But he bounces back against Rodolfo Vieira. And if you can go out there and submit a guy like Rodolfo, I mean, what that has to do to your confidence just has to make you feel like, well, if I can submit Rodolfo Vieira, I can submit anybody. You know, that's probably how he legit feels. And just knowing that you belong and knowing that, hey, I paid my dues. I'm ready for this. I mean, Anthony Fluffy is a guy that beat Brendan Allen on the regional scene. Don't forget about that. So he comes back after the Rodolfo fight. Um, and uh, takes down Josh Fremd eight times in that fight. Josh Fremd, former D3 wrestler, I believe. Like Y'all can talk shit. Oh, he's D3. That's why he's not D1. Or Like, dude, to be a D3 wrestler still means you're a badass. I'm going to tell you all that right now. And then the next fight against uh, Mark Andre Barrio, he does the same shit, man. He goes out there, also takes him down eight times. So he's landed 16 takedowns in his last two fights, but that's not how many takedowns he's attempted. Against uh, Fremd, he goes eight for 11. That means when you can attempt 11 <laughs> uh, takedowns at middleweight, at middleweight, let, let, let's talk about the lower weight class. In the lower weight classes, that's impressive. But at middleweight, God damn, son. And then he goes in there against Power Bar. Uh, Burial goes eight for 14. Like when you can attempt that amount of takedowns, you're going to break your opponent uh, because your opponent might stuff the first few and they might feel like, okay, okay. But when Anthony shows that, hey, I'm not discouraged, I'm going to keep coming forward, I'm going to keep trying, it doesn't matter if you stuff the first few. 
um, that's where opponents start to break because it's like, man, what do I got to do to stop this guy? And we've seen Edmund Shabazian break in multiple fights, especially past the first round. Now, here's the thing. Anthony, you know, in the past, he's been susceptible to the body. I'm not just referring to the uh, the Kevin Holland fight. I'm also referring to the Marcus Maluco fight. And all y'all remember Marcus, you know, dangling off his neck, but y'all don't remember him badly hurting, badly hurting Anthony Hernandez with body kicks. Hernandez was also hurt in the John Young Park fight. And that's not to take away from these guys. These guys are hard hitters, but just saying. Edmund Shabazian's a very hard hitter as well. Edmund Shabazian's got a lot of knockouts, a lot of first-round knockouts to be exact, and Fluffy's durability. So it's like with Fluffy, it's the durability I'm concerned about, and with Edmund, it, it, it's the heart and the will when things get tough that I'm worried about. So I, I see this first round being kind of tough, but if Anthony can survive that, that's where I think he's going to be able to kind of break Edmund, kind of, you know, latch up the takedown attempts, eventually get those takedowns, tire him out, break him, and uh, extend his win streak. So I'm going to go with Anthony Fluffy Hernandez to defeat Edmund Shabazian. Now, featured bout, we got in 120-pound catch weight. We got Emily Ducote. She's 12-7, and seven, taking on Lupi Godinez, who's 9-3. and three. Currently, they got it Lupi Godinez. Minus 160. The comeback on Emily Ducote is plus 130. Another interesting matchup because it's kind of like Lupi Godinez. I know a lot of people are like super high on her, and I respect her in the sense that she's always taking these short notice fights. And, you know, she, she's got that Mexican spirit about her. I like that a lot. But, man, I, I feel like she's still developing. You know, she went, she fought life and death with Cynthia Calvillo, who's on a five fight, you know, skid, who's probably retiring soon. Um, you know, and then the Angela Hill fight, Angela showed her a vet lesson, a vet lesson. It showed her, yeah, your wrestling ain't good enough for me. You know, um, you know, she even lost to Luana Carolina, who, you know, is kind of a mid tier fighter. Um, and that was the last time that she needed a catch weight, I, I think, or at least needed to be up a weight class. Um, and then when you talk about Emily Ducote, you know, she's someone that paid her dues outside the octagon, man. She's someone that, you know, fought the right people on the regional scene, had the ups, had the downs, came into the UFC at the right time. Um, I like her striking game. You know, she's got decent volume on the feet, you know, in her UFC debut. She landed 116 significant strikes, which those are the numbers we love. And even in her fight against uh, Angela Hill. Despite getting double, more than doubled up on strikes, she still landed a decent amount, you know, for someone that's, you know, on a different level in terms of the striking caliber. But Lupi Godinez is not on that level. And in addition to that, guys, Lupi Godinez does not necessarily have the volume um, as far as what I've seen to match Emily Ducote. So it could be a situation where maybe like Lupi kind of gets these takedowns earlier. Maybe early it's kind of like, you know, you know, who got that round? Some people scored this way. Some people scored that way. But the longer the fight goes, and I'm not sure if this read is correct, but the longer the fight goes, I do think that there's a chance that uh, Emily can kind of start to start to chip away, you know, piece by piece, you know, chop down on those calf kicks, land the land, the cleaner combinations, stuff some takedowns, kind of discourage loopy a little bit and then win the second and third round and, and go out there and win this decision. Like, I, I'm not convinced she wins, but. I am kind of sold on it possibly being one-to-one going into the third round. And those kind of fights, you probably want to side with the dog. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Emily Ducote to win this decision over Lupi Godinez. Now, next up, 
in the welterweight division, we got the welterweight debut of Joaquin Buckley. He's 15 and 6, taking on Andre Fialhu, who's 16 and 6. Currently, they got it Joaquin Buckley, minus 225. The comeback on Andre Fialhu is plus 185. So shout out to uh one of my boys who steamed that Buckley line. He got it like I forgot what he got, what, minus 160 or minus 170, minus 180, whatever. He steams the shit all the way to minus 225. So he did his job. At that line, I understand. But here now, there's a lot more volatility. When you're talking about minus 225 and plus 185, like I know Andre's not been in his best form as of late, and he's taken a substantial amount of damage his last two fights. Um, but Andre Fialio can still crack, and Joaquin Buckley's been – put out four times now i'm not saying that fialio is mr durable either he's been knocked out his fair share of times including his last two ufc fights so it, it's kind of a thing where I, I think that in the pocket exchanges like just just hands in the pocket i actually think andre fialio has the chance to catch buckley but kind of on the outside and the more volume based uh you know way of winning that's where I favor Buckley. I think he's the faster guy. I think he's got better volume. Um, I think 170 is the right weight class for him. Um, I'm just re- I'm just worried about these pocket exchanges uh, for both guys, to be quite frank, but more for Buckley. Because from the outside, that's where I really think that Buckley's going to be able to kind of run away with this thing. It's just if... You know, he he's kind of underestimating Fialio coming off two knockout losses, and he thinks that, hey, I'm going to stand and bang with this guy. Then it's a 50-50 fight, and either guy could go down. But Buckley comes in here with the right game plan, out-volume this guy, stay on the outside, and don't get into these stupid pocket exchanges. Then I do think it's a good fight for Buckley. But if you're – listen, Buckley, like I said, he's been knocked out four times, and Fialu is a knockout artist. So if you feel like, man, these plus 190 odds, I'm willing to roll the dice, go for it. I I, I Go for it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to stop you. But uh, pure pick Buckley, but – I mean, I missed the line a long-ass time ago, so I'm not interested in betting it, but pure pick Buckley. Now, next up, kicking off the main card in the lightweight division, we got two vets, two OGs. We got Michael Johnson. He's 21 and 18, taking on Carlos Diego Ferreira, Diego BJJ. He's 17 and 5. Currently, they got it. Diego BJJ, minus 150. The comeback on Michael Johnson is plus 125. This is a fantastic fight because Michael Johnson is for the record he has. He's the best guy of all time with a record like that. And you already know his resume. Y'all know the fact that he knocked out Dustin Poirier, the fact that he beat the shit out of Tony Ferguson back back when that meant something. You know that he beat Edson Barboza in Brazil. Like, man, like Michael Johnson's got a resume on him and he's been stacking up some nice wins as of late, man. You know, a little late career resurgence. Um, but I don't I don't know if I want to call it a resurgence because Michael Johnson's always kind of been, you know, a hot and cold hit or miss type fighter. That's literally always been the case. You know, win some, lose some. And, and you got to respect it because he's always fighting the toughest guys for the most part uh, on planet Earth. Um, so two guys I have the most respect for. Um, you know, I know that Diego Ferreira hasn't looked as good as last few fights. You know, he's kind of pushing 40 now. Not that Michael Johnson's a spring chicken, but just saying, I I fully acknowledge that. Um, but you also got to take into account that the last three matchups he had, while I'm not going to, you know, brush the damage he took, you know, just, just you know, take that in one ear and, and off the other, you know, it's not going to be any bullshit like that. But I do, I do want to say, Benil Dariush, 
I mean, y'all know he's a y'all know he's a way better grappler than Michael Johnson. Gregor Gillespie. Y'all know that he's a much better wrestler than Michael Johnson. Matush Gamrot. Y'all know he's a much better grappler than, than Michael Johnson. So what I'm saying is there wasn't really much of a chance for, you know, Carlos to kind of or Carlos Diego to kind of show his amazing Brazilian jiu-jitsu game against those guys. And granted, he actually did show some 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 you know, some good scrambles, especially against Gregor, against Benil, uh, the the Matouche fight. See, I'm trying to figure out if Gregor maybe took a little thing out of him because that fight was life and death until the very end. Y'all got to check out that Gregor versus Diego fight. Oh, my God. But the Matouche fight, you know, it was the 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 knee of the rib and then, you know, a submission to strikes. It was kind of – but, you know, he's taken some time off since then. He didn't fight at all in 2022, so hopefully he's been getting his body right. Um, I expect him to come out in better shape in this one for sure. You know, I think that he needs this. His back's up against the wall. So the thing is, on the feet, while Michael Johnson clearly has a massive speed advantage over Carlos Diego, Carlos is kind of sneaky with his striking, man. It's like slow but methodical, right? Like y'all saw his fight with Tysumov. I mean, Tysumov is much more explosive and fast, fast twitch and all that stuff, you know, um, compared to Diego. But Diego was able to find ways to tag him up with his methodical style. And we've seen, even though Alan... Uh, Michael Johnson has that reputation. They call him Blackie out because of how fucking fast his hands are. I mean, you also saw Darren Elkins, you know, getting off on some shots against them too. So, so it, it's tough. Like, wh where's Diego at, right? Um, but honestly, man, I think that Michael Johnson probably, you know, gets the better of some of these early exchanges. But this is a spot where one back take, one submission attempt, one just dominant position on the ground and that could be it diego Ferreira is that good we're talking about a guy that beat um gary tonin in pure grappling right um and if he's hungry motivated you know took his time off um it's coming back out here you know ready to go i think diego Ferreira gets it done um you know i'm not willing to roll the dice myself just because of his current form but who knows he's taken over a year off maybe he's figured some shit out let's see I'm going to pick Carlos Diego because I think in both of their primes, Diego wins this fight. But who knows? You know, Michael Johnson's a guy, when I pick him to win, he loses. When I pick him to lose, he wins. So let's see. I'm going to go Carlos Diego Ferreira for the win. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Maheshate. He's 9-2, and two, taking on Bishislav Barshov, who's 6-3. and three. Currently, they got it. Hayashire Maheshate. Well, he's the dog. He's plus 130. And uh, Vyacheslav Barshov, the favorite, is minus 160. So what's interesting about this fight is that so Barshov's gotten exposed his last few fights, and the way he's gotten exposed is he came into the UFC as a guy with good striking credentials, but, man, his takedown defense is absolute trash. His get-up game is not the best, but I will give him credit on this. His submission defense is pretty good. The guy's good at surviving, and hopefully with the work he's been putting in with Uriah Faber and all them, it can get him to a point where now he can start getting back up from bottom. And if that's the case, then I think he can maybe stick around in the UFC for a couple more fights. But if this, you know, gaping fucking hole on the mat keeps showing itself from Barshov, uh, he won't be in the UFC this time next year. I'll just tell you that straight up. But what makes this matchup interesting, guys, is that Maheshate, now I'm not saying he can't come out here and throw a curveball, but in 
three octagon appearances, two in the UFC and one on contender series. He's attempted a grand total of zero takedown attempts. So it so basically on paper, it seems to me like these two are gonna stand and bang until one man falls. Both guys got a lot of power. Um, you know, Maheshate is gonna be the longer guy here, you know, six feet with the 71 inch reach. Um, but I think Barshov is kind of the more experienced kickboxer, kind of the more cleaner guy here. So if they stay standing, I, I do have to favor Barshov. But if Maheshate wants to throw a curveball and get this to the mat, I mean, the blueprint's been written on how to beat Barshov. So another one where I just, I mean, great matchmaking, you know, because I don't feel like I have an edge on most of these fights, but great matchmaking. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go Barshov, assuming that Maheshate... Uh, doesn't you know find ways to take him down or attempt takedowns? Like I said, his last three fights he hasn't attempted shit. Now, where do we line the possibility of Maheshate catching Barsho? Because it's still four ounce gloves. They're still gonna crack. I mean, do knocked out Steve Garcia, who's no slouch, um, who's been doing his thing lately. So who knows? But from what I from what I've seen, I kind of think Barshov is just slightly ahead of him in the striking department. And this is, and I foresee this being a striking match. So for that reason, I'm going to go Vyacheslav Barshov. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Karolina Kovacevic, who's 14 and seven, taking on Vanessa Demopoulos, who's nine and four. So we got Poland versus Greece. Currently, they got it. Karolina Kovacevic, minus 135. The comeback on Vanessa Demopoulos is plus 110. I will always have a soft spot. Uh, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Karolina Kovacevich for when she went out there at UFC 201 in Atlanta, Georgia and cashed a plus 215 underdog bet for me against Rose Namajunas. So I've been a fan for life just for that. Even when she went on her five-fight skid, I was still still rooting for every fight, minus the Ann Shannon fight, of course. Um, and then with Vanessa Demopoulos, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. So she is a black belt in jujitsu, and she does have some nice stuff on the ground, on the feet. It's still developing. But what I like most about Vanessa is she she brings the effort. She she's, she's going to try. She's going to give it all that she's got. And I think that that's why she won some of these fights where people kind of felt like she lost, like the Jin Yu Frey fight. But like you watch the fight, and man, like it didn't look the prettiest. Like, like I'll I'll admit that. Um, but. Man, she just gave that extra bit of effort, which swayed the judges to her favor. Look, if this was in both their primes, I mean, I'd pick Carolina without hesitation. I'm still going to go with Carolina because I like the fact that she got back on track. Hopefully her confidence is coming, you know, is kind of rising a little bit. And she's not fighting the upper echelon anymore. She's no longer in there with the Yan Zhaonans, the Andrages you know, and all the other great fighters. And that's not to disrespect Vanessa. Like I said, I love her attitude. I love the fact that she's a go-getter. She's going to try her best. Um, and maybe that's enough to out-hustle Carolina. It might, it might be, but um, I think Carolina, you know, at her best is just ahead, ahead of Vanessa uh, Demopoulos, to put it lightly. So I'm going to go with uh, Carolina via decision. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Orion Kose. He's eight and one, taking on Gilbert Urbina, who's six and two. Currently, they got it. Orion Kose minus one twenty. The comeback on Gilbert Urbina is plus one hundred. Man, this is like this is the lowest level fight on the card, 
And this is one that's almost like borderline, not to disrespect the fighters or the matchmakers, but it's borderline embarrassing. Like these two won't even be in an NFC main event. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, with the co, I, I, it's like you know what's funny? It's like you know Kose. Um, there, there's two Koses, right? The Kose brothers. I think the Kose brothers are frauds, and then Gilbert Urbina comes from a fighting family too. I think the Urbina brothers are frauds. So I mean, to me, it's like. <laughs> You know, Orion, you know, has maybe got a bit more wrestling, but he's got gassing issues. And and Gilbert Urbina, you know, might be kind of the more dangerous guy. You know, he's finished more fights, this and that. Uh, also a former middleweight, so he's dropping in weight. But he's a guy that can't wrestle, you know. So it's like, do you favor the gasser or do you favor the guy that can't wrestle? I don't fucking know. Let's see what the coin says. The coin says we're going to go with uh, with Orion Kose to win this fight. And I cannot wait to fade both these guys in their next fight. It's like, don't give me, you know, the two frauds against each other. Give me a fraud versus someone, you know, that's unknown, that's legit. And then we fade them both. But when it's fraud versus fraud, I mean, I'm good on this. I see a lot of action on Urbina. At least y'all beat the line. Y'all did your job there. But, you know, I'm not in the business of betting either of these guys in UFC fights. So. I'm good. I'm passing. I'll lean Kose because of my coin flip. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Ilir Latifi, 16 and 8, taking on Rodrigo Nascimento, who is 9 and 1. Currently, they got it. Rodrigo Nascimento minus 200. The comeback on Ilir Latifi is plus 165. So, this is is interesting, you know, especially with a line like that, because it's like, how do they truly match up, right? So, obviously, when you just talk about the physical attributes, Nascimento six foot two compared to Alir Latifi's five ten, which between you and me, Latifi's five seven five eight, and then it's eighty inch reach versus seventy three inch reach. It's natural heavyweight versus former light heavyweight. Um, and then you take it a step further, the volume difference. I mean, Alir Latifi's volume is non-existent. <laughs> Rodrigo Nascimento's got way more volume than him, but on the flip side, Alir Latifi's got better defense. He absorbs less strikes. And the big one I want to bring up, and this is something that one of my friends brought up to me that I thought was such a good point, is that Rodrigo Nascimento hasn't been in there with anyone that's going to try to take him down. So that's what makes this interesting. So what happens when Ilir tries to get that one takedown per round? Is he going to be able to you know, come out here and get that? Because we haven't seen Nascimento be tested in, in terms of his takedown defense. So that that's where it gets kind of interesting. So it's a tough one for me, and I'm not even sure how this fight is going to play out. I'm going to lean with Nascimento just because I think that, um, you know, he's 10 years younger. I feel like he's got more upside. He's the bigger man, this and that. But listen, I bet on Nascimento against one of the worst fighters on the roster at the time named Alan Badeau, and Nascimento made me sweat. I mean, his chin is not the best. Um, He overcame and he's got heart. I love to see it. But, you know, there's a lot to be worried about with him. And then back to my point. How's his takedown defense? We we just we just haven't seen it. So makes it tough. I'm a lean Nascimento just because of the youth and the upside. And I think Alir's kind of on his way out. But I don't know. I don't know. Because like I said, I bet on Nascimento against one of the worst guys. And, and he almost gave me a damn near, you know, uh cardiac arrest. Huh? You know, and knock on wood, that never happens to any of us, right? But just saying, like, uh, maybe that was a bad joke, but I'm just saying, like. Uh, I don't trust either guy. You know, one's on his way out, and the one that's not on his way out has given me scares. So I don't know. I'll go Rodrigo Nascimento. 
Now, next up, the one you've all been waiting for. Everybody do me a huge favor. Before I, before I talk about um, um, uh, so dude said wouldn't be NFC main event, dog. I saw some cab driver's name, you know, O and O and O versus one and one. Yeah, but wasn't that like an amateur fight? So NFC's been holding amateur fight nights and they've been holding the pro on. So yeah, you put some amateurs in there, it, it is what it is. And don't be talking shit about my boy Marcus Leach because he would absolutely whoop your ass. But I but I feel where you're coming from. But I mean, I, I think that, you know, Orion Kose and Gilbert Urbina, back to your point, man. Um, these guys aren't winning NFC belts, period. Um, and, and I would uh I would put money on that, you know. Yeah. Anyways, back back to this because I can get sidetracked by all this. But but I mean, you do bring up good points, but you just got to put context on it. You know, was it an NFC amateur event or was it an NFC pro event? Because my boy Jesse Wable, the matchmaker, he started his new Jesse Wable's amateur series where you know they just give a spotlight to the amateur fighters. It's not like the the numbered NFC cards where you know the pros headline it. So you just got to put context in that. But before I talk about the people's main event between Chase. Hooper and Nick Fiore. I want y'all do me doing me a huge favor and smashing the like button for me, please. And also um, hit the subscribe if you're not already subscribed. I really appreciate that. And lastly, when this is done, please leave me a comment below. Whatever you want to say. Um, just leave me a comment. All right. So next up in the lightweight division, we got Chase Hooper, who was 11 3 and 1. Taking on Nick Fiore, who is six and one. Currently, they got it. Nick Fiore minus one thirty-five, and the comeback on Chase Hooper is plus one ten. Let's talk about this. So I understand why people want to fade Chase Hooper. I mean, the guy's a walking punching bag, um, and I mean, it seems like his striking defense hasn't gotten any better. And at some point, it's like. You know, how long can we keep giving this kid chances? But here's what I've noticed with these Chase Hooper fights. When guys beat Chase Hooper, they're able to neutralize his game and they're able to bust him up standing and just really treat him like the punching bag he is. And his jujitsu threat is no threat whatsoever against these guys, right? Like Bruce Leroy. You think Chase Hooper's <laughs> jujitsu is a threat there? Even, um, uh ocho peterson who i know just retired and is a slow guy himself but that's still a guy who had like what twice the experience is also a black belt so it's just different because this is the first time in a while where chase hooper um is not just the more experienced guy he's got more than double the fights of, of nick fiore so it's gonna be nice for hooper to be the more experienced guy but back back to the point what kind of guys do i like to bet on or do I like to pick against Hooper? Like, what, what do I look for if I want to pick against Hooper? I want someone that's going to stuff his bullshit takedowns and, and bust, it, bust his ass up standing. That's exactly what I want. So I looked up Nick Fiore. Um, and, we yeah, we can write off that uh, Rabetsky fight or whatever. Man, I mean, he got his ass whooped. He didn't show shit in that fight. But, yeah, Rambetsky would fucking kill Chase Hooper. So, yeah, we can write that off. But. I watched uh, Nick Fiore's fights, uh, two of them besides Rambetsky. One of the, the JLS fight, one of them, and the fight he had right before he got signed to the UFC. And I'm not going to be one to discredit his regional opponents. Yeah, they all sucked, but like, so what? It's the regional scene. Get your experience in, get your finishes, and make your way up to the UFC, and then you'll start fighting the tough competition. So I'm not going to be the one to hold his competition against him. 
What I will, however, bring to the table is this. So when I talk about like, you know, picking against Chase Hooper, I need someone that's a threat standing. So when you look at Nick Fiore's record, his fight right before his UFC debut, he won via first round TKO. So I was like, okay, perfect. So so his stand-up must be good, this and that. I'm going to pull up that fight. Let's see how he busted this dude up. And actually, Nick Fiore, he didn't drop the guy. He wasn't tagging him up standing. Nick Fiore actually took the guy down, passed his guard, and pounded him out. Nothing wrong with that. I love it. But just saying, um, don't be don't 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 be you know confused by the fact that he that it says he got a first round TKO, and don't let that make you think that he's some kind of striker. Because what Nick Fiore is is he's a guy that likes to scramble. He's a guy that likes to play off his back. I'm not talking about that Rambetsky fight. Go go back, go go watch his amateur fight when he got slammed KO'd. I, I haven't heard anyone talk about that. The guy lo loves to play off his back. The guy loves to get into scrambles. So if he's better at jujitsu than Chase Hooper, then he might win. But like again, when I think about guys that I'm picking to beat Chase Hooper, I need someone that's gonna bust his ass up standing. Can y'all point to anything uh that shows Nick Fiore's got dangerous striking? If you can, leave me the link because I'd love to watch it. Because everything I've seen is Nick Fiore is a guy who's in a rush to get the fight to the mat, create these scrambles, and do it from there. And isn't that like Chase Hooper's game? So literally, I think Nick Fiore's style goes right into Chase Hooper's game. I mean, I think that Nick Fiore is going to come out here and try to scramble with Chase Hooper. And if he's the better black belt, then so be it. Then maybe he can win the fight. But from what I've seen on the mat, Chase Hooper, he's got ridiculous flexibility. And um, in that Felipe Colares fight, firstly, uh, rest in peace, Felipe Colares, man. What a tragedy. And, uh, man, you know, just the thoughts and prayers bullshit is annoying because it doesn't do anything. But positive energy to his family and his friends i don't know what to say but it's just a tragedy all around um but back back to this so like from what i've seen nick fiore is not a stand uh, is not a threat standing whatsoever so nick fiore likes to get into these scrambles and scrambly fights are chase hooper's forte at the lower level so i mean i think this kid's gonna play right into chase hooper's wheelhouse so and Chase Hooper moving up to 55. A lot of people say it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's going to be a bad thing when he fights someone not named Nick Fiore, but like, um, at least he doesn't have that ridiculous weight cut anymore. You got to take it into consideration. He's six foot one, he's a big boy. So he's going to grow into this frame. He's not necessarily the most athletic guy or anything like that, but just saying, like, I don't think it's a bad move for him to move up, man. Like, let's eliminate those weight cuts. Maybe you can take punches a little better. But back, but, but back to how they match up, like, Chase Hooper wins fights when you try to scramble with him. And I think that's exactly what Nick Fiore is going to do. So I see Chase Hooper coming out here and winning this fight. Like, I get it. If you just fade Chase Hooper every single fight at good odds, you're going to, uh, you know, be on the right side of the, of the coin long term. I'm just not convinced this kid Fiore is ready for the UFC at all, man. And the most important point, his style ties right in to Chase Hooper. This kid's not a threat standing, and this kid wants to scramble. That's what Chase Hooper wants to do. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Chase Hooper. But again, if y'all got footage of Nick Fiore's stand-up and you can prove to me that he's a threat standing, I'm, I'm open to changing my stance because I'm not going to plant my flag on Chase Hooper and act arrogant about, you know, a dude that's a walking punching bag. I just think that he's the much better scrambler. I think he's the better black belt in jiu-jitsu. And for that reason, I think he's going to win this fight. So Chase Hooper's my pick. Now... Here we go. 
Next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Natalia Silva. She's 14 and 5, taking on Victoria Leonardo, who's 9 and 4. Currently, they got it. Natalia Silva, minus 900. The comeback on Victoria Leonardo is plus 575. Um, so people are wondering, like, what why why they set up this, this mismatch and this and that. Guys, this is why. Natalia Silva is supremely talented, but she's still building her brand. Um, the casuals don't really know her yet. So what we're going to do, I mean, I think this is the game plan, is we're going to give her these Victoria Leon Leonardo's. We're going to give her Mandy Bohm right after that, you know? And, and then you take it from there. You let her perform how she should perform. Let her get these highlight reel finishes. And then we move her up into the rankings, into the bigger fights, once she gets her name up there a little bit more. So that's just all this is because Natalia Silva is ready for the top 15 right now. As far as I'm concerned, it's just, again, let's build this profile. Let's let her feel comfortable inside the octagon. Let's get her a couple more highlight reel finishes so we can hype up those bigger fights down the line. And that's what they're doing here. Look, respect to Leonardo. She's a vet of the game. She's been around a long time. She's been susceptible to that high kick in multiple fights. Um, whether it's Manon Fioro or whether it's Aaron Blanchfield, who are both studs, of course. Um, but I think Natalia Silva is a stud as well, man. And I think that Natalia Silva is, I mean, unless she just didn't take this seriously, which would be very uncharacteristic because I know she's in the gym nonstop. And I know that she has ambitions to make it to the top 15. Not even, fuck the top 15. She, I know she's got ambitions to one day fight for a belt. Um, and we know for a fact, Victoria Leonardo, if she, for her to scratch the rankings, that <laughs> hell would freeze over, right? Um, but, uh, you know, no, no disrespect. Just, again, Back to my point. We're going to give you this Leonardo fight. We want you to make a statement. Then we're going to give you Mandy Boehm. You make a statement there, and then we build you up in those kind of bigger fights that we think you're ready for now, but you just got to build your profile a little bit more. And once you do that, we're going to hand you those fights. So, Natalia, this is yours, baby girl. So I hope you go out there and show us what you're capable of. I mean, her takedown defense is so on point. Her striking, I mean, when's the last time you saw a chick go out there and get a spinning back kick? to the face knockout like i love everything about her her personality is great she made the effort to learn english like she's got star potential so let's see how she uh handles these next few fights and we'll take it from there i'm very impressed with natalia silva last but not least in the welterweight division kicking off the card we got takashi sato representing japan he's 16 and 6 and he's taking on themba garimba who is 10 and 4 representing zimbabwe that's pretty cool. Japan versus Zimbabwe. Is that a first in uh, the UFC? Currently, they got it. My, wow. Minus 110 apiece. Minus 110. Uh, Sato, minus 110. Garimbo. So he, here's my thing with Sato, man. Like when he first came to the UFC, I always thought that, like, this dude is a heavy hitter. Like, even in that fight he lost against uh, Gleico Franza that went into the fourth round, like, man, he was cracking hard. Like, this dude, he's got a nasty uh, straight punch. Um, I'm pretty sure he's a southpaw, right? So that'd be a, a straight left. His straight left is nasty. My my issue that I've had with Takashi is the volume is on the super low side. And when I say super low side, like what do y'all what do y'all think uh, off the top of your head? The most amount of strikes that Takashi's landed in a UFC fight. And anyone want to take a guess? It was actually against the best opponent he's ever fought, the future welterweight champion Bilal Muhammad. Takashi landed a grand total of 29 strikes. You know what I'm saying? So this guy is super low output, but 
He's a very heavy hitter um, when he actually decides to let his hands go. And he's got that judo background, which means that from time to time, he, he will hit some of those judo throws. Not always, but his takedown defense, he's got like a good solid base. He can be taken down. Don't get me wrong, but he's, you know, he's got a solid base from that judo background. And he trains with good people at uh, Kill Cliff, you know, Sanford MMA. Um, and then with Themba, when Themba got signed, I was shocked he got signed because y'all know like how high I am on the African fighters, whether it was me hyping up Sodiq Youssef before he was even in the UFC. I had Sodiq Youssef on half the battle before he even fought Mike Davis on Contender Series. Y'all know how I felt about Razak over the years, even Francis when he was on his come up, man. So um, I've been very high on the African fighters. And I mean, this is not respectful what I'm about to say, but I mean this in the... I guess most tongue-in-cheek way that will not get my ass whooped if I run into Thembo on the street. But I kind of feel like Thembo was kind of like the runt of the litter. You know, we don't see that crazy explosiveness. We don't see that crazy athleticism. We don't see just that, oh, that those oh shit moments that we're expected to see from a lot of the African fighters that I'm high on, man. Um, so, but 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 here's the thing. Takashi's coming off one of those knockout losses where it's like, how do you, how do you rebound by from that? And it's been less than a year and it wasn't just, Oh, you just got caught, whatever. It, it, it was shin to chin. Like he was out for a long time after he hit the mat. And it wasn't just like, you know, the, 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 like I said, shin to chin. It was also back of the head to canvas two brutal impacts. And I, and didn't he eat a follow-up as well? So I, I don't know where his confidence is at, man. And Themba, you know, again, back to that NFC talk, you know. <laughs> you know, him and uh, Orion Kose and uh, Urbina definitely ain't uh, headlining any NFC events anytime soon. But I think he should kind of be the more confident and more just hungrier fighter here. Because, like, is Sato really, like, let's say Sato trained his ass off for this for this camp, but, like, when Sato actually gets in there, when he steps in there, like, how how do the, the demons of that last loss not play? Like, you have to be so mentally strong to brush off what just happened to him and to just act like nothing happened and have, you know, zero hesitation when you go out there. Because I, I just see that, um, I just see a lot of hesitancy from Takashi Sato. And Themba is not the best. Themba will be faded again, no doubt. I wouldn't even be surprised if he lost this fight, man. You know what I mean? But I, I just think confidence-wise and, and will and kind of who wants it more and who's willing to push that extra mile at this point in their respective careers, I'll go with Themba Garimba uh, to get it done. So, yeah. <laughs> Damn, Mary Lockroom said, Dan, you're good from Atlanta. You're good. You're from Atlanta. You got Africa with you every day. We got you uh, with us. Hey, listen, man, I've been invited to the barbecue for many, many years. You already know what it is, my man. So listen, y'all, I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And then after that, I'm down to answer all your questions, read your comments. We'll take it from there. So right now is a good time for y'all to leave me a little something in the in the comment box that you want me to get to, whatever it may be. Ask me anything. and then. Um, Please smash the like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And like I said, when this is over, leave me that comment. 
And if you want to take it a step further and want to share this video, man, that'd be incredible because I don't got anybody else sharing my shit except me and y'all. So it's amazing what we've developed over these years. So the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 73. I mean, there's a few of them, whether you're talking about Diego Ferreira versus Michael Johnson, whether you're talking about Andre Fialio versus Joaquin Buckley. But I think I'm going to go with the co-main event between Anthony Fluffy Hernandez versus Edmund Shabazian because Anthony Hernandez, um, you know, he was a champion in another organization, comes to the UFC, he's been hit and miss, but it seems like he's finally finding his stride. Whereas Edmund came into the UFC and, you know, he had the whole, I'm going to be the youngest champion in UFC history talk, had a massive hype train behind him and got derailed, especially when fights go past the first round. So this is a huge fight for the trajectories of both these guys' careers. And for that reason, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez versus Edmund Shabazian is my fight to watch. And my fighter to watch, um, I mean, Natalia Silva, but she's minus 900s. But, I, but still, like, let's not eke out a decision. Let's go out there and make a statement, but... What about Chase Hooper, man? What about Chase Hooper, man? You know, he's a dog to some dude like we've never heard of. I mean, I say that tongue-in-cheek. We know who he is, but still, like, come on. Uh, I mean, he was minus three-something versus Steve Garcia, who was like a proven fighter, you know, like a real a real fighter. Now he's a dog to a guy that is inexperienced that like and and is not a threat standing whatsoever. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see what you do with this opportunity, Chase. I'll have my eyes on this. Plus, MMA Twitter is going crazy about this fight. So, that's my uh, Chase Hooper is my fighter to watch. Let's see. All right. Now, question time. I'm gonna scroll up to the top of the chat. I'm gonna see what y'all gotta say. I'm gonna address that. And uh, yeah, last call for questions. Get them in. All right. Professor Chaos says he, he gave a great quote. He said. You will show your poker greatness by the hands you fold, not the hands you play. No, I think that's a great point. You know, I took last week off because I didn't feel like I didn't identify the value properly, which I regret because Liz Boa was a fantastic bet. I should have taken that. I might have even should have bit the bullet on Ian Gary on that minus 300 because he looked minus 3,000. Um, Colby says, what's up, Dan? Look forward to the breakdown. I appreciate that. The kid said what up dan what up man die hard said let's go dan let's go die hard uh let's fucking go ghost gardener i appreciate y'all uh rushan joseph said been watching you uh for months now first time catching you live keep up the great work i appreciate the kind words and i appreciate you tuning in he also said he ordered uh gld chain because of my recommendation i hope you like it man tell me what you think man you know them shits man in person y'all that met me in uh in uh, Charlotte this past weekend, the cameras don't do it justice in person, man. This shit's shiny. We love it. Um, so let's see what else we got. A bunch of Dern and Hill talk. Mr. Always Prophet said, saw an interview of Dern saying she is looking to score more points than going for subs, but she also said Perillo hasn't been coaching her much. He was with Rockle in Bare Knuckle Fighting, and she had a divorce issue. Yeah, um, I'm not really worried about the divorce issue because, like, if she takes Angela's back and attempts a rear naked choke, the divorce issue isn't going to mean shit there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? So it just, it just comes down to where this fight takes place and what happens, you know, in those situations on the mat. Um, 
My boy, Marcus Williams. He said, James Lynch's new interview with Derns has a lot of red flags. She admits to having a shaky training camp, and her head coach hasn't been there for her. That sucks. But can she still get it to the mat and submit her anyways? That's the big question, right? But, yeah, no, I feel you. I mean, I... My, it might be a dog or pass situation. You never know. So Mr. Always Prophet said, hit the like. You know, you know how I fuck with this guy. He's very right. Rick, the ruler, said he's taking the money line on Hill. Hey, I don't blame you. I mean, you, the blueprint's been laid out. If she can do what Zhao Nan and, and Marina did, hey, you just got to survive one or two bad spots. Because on the feet, she's got a big, uh, a big advantage. Rips and Picks said, what up, Dan and chat? A uh, bit of a weak car this week, but let's get that money. Let's. Um, Mr. Always Prophet said, I'm looking to parlay Edmund up here. Talk to me, Dan. I get Edmund is young, but even his last performance for Dolce, I wasn't impressed. Um, yeah, but bro, like parlay an underdog of that size, just play it straight. Just play it straight. Take two underdogs, risk the same amount on both. You only need one to win for a profit. Both win red panty night. So you don't need to be getting degenerate and parlaying underdogs. Like, yeah, if you hit one of them once in a while, cool. But like y'all seen that these fucking 10 team parlays, unless you get lucky, you know, they call it lottery shots for, for a reason, man. So I don't think that's a very profitable strategy going forward, but you want to take that dog shot. I don't blame you on that. Um, Oh, my bad. He said I meant parlay Fluffy up. Okay. Okay. Well, he's definitely got a huge path to victory, especially if he decides to be relentless with his takedown attempt. So let's see. Let's see. Um, He also says Buckley is a good player. Yeah, I know some very sharp people that, uh, you know, bet him when the line was playable. And then I saw some other people that posted tickets on, like, the the old the like <laughs> the line that was 50 cents better on buckley like two days after the line moved to like minus two uh 25 or whatever it's crazy the kind of shit it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy the kind of shit i've been seeing on mma twitter y'all gotta call it out man you know what i'm saying like could you imagine what would happen if right now i tweeted that i made a bet on on buckley like minus 160 to minus 180 you know, people would come after me in a way where I might just single-handedly ruin my reputation. Like, I would never do some shit like that. That's why, like, I have no issues passing if I miss the line. It is what it is, man. This is a long-term game, and I know it's easy to throw that term around, but, like, I plan on being here 10 years from now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, And I'm going to be gambling then, too. So let me find my spots. My boy MMA Locker Room said, I'm the only here to see that Dan, um, see that Dan Atlanta Braves hat with the uh with the peaches you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying dog best team in baseball um mr prophet says he agrees that the gregor fight might have taken a lot out of, out of carlos diego yeah it, it might have it might have um let's see Dirty Reg says he's going to do the roll of the dice on Themba. Yeah, I mean, I get it, especially after what his opponent's coming off of. But, you know, just don't just don't blame anyone but yourself if Themba shows that. You know, he really is the run of the litter and doesn't belong in the UFC. But let's see. Let's see. I'm, I'm picking him because the other guy, where's his confidence at, you know? Uh, Asoi says shout out to Battle. Uh, shout out to Brian Battle or to Half the Battle. Either way, shout out to both of us. Thank you very much. Um. Yeah, Equanimous agrees with me. Exactly. How do you recover from that? I mean, that head kick was fucking brutal, man. Um, 
so we said Sato decided to stay in the States to train for this fight um, instead of going to Japan for the death of his father. Man, you know, condolences. That's terrible. Um, but, yeah, he's been training at Sanford Killcliffe for a long time. Um, but, man, like we saw similar things with Jeon Kim. She missed someone's funeral, and then that bullshit happened. So even though it's like, you know, you want to root for him, kind of like when Walt Harris came back from that tragedy, but – you know, the universe doesn't always allow beautiful moments to happen. So just keep that in mind. Ghost Gardner says, being a BJJ guy, do you find yourself siding with the grapplers, submission fighters over the strikers when the um, when the MUs are like they are this uh, th- this weekend? Um, take it matchup by matchup. Take it matchup by matchup. That's all it is, bro. Um, and even though I'm a jujitsu guy, I don't even I don't like watching jujitsu. I like competing and training and teaching jujitsu but i don't i don't like watching it i think it's boring to watch it's not boring as at all to fucking participate in i'll tell you that much i fucking love it so much but i'd much rather watch mma but back to your question matchup by matchup matchup by matchup that's it um mma locker room said gina mazani or tony kelly for life advice I mean, Gina Mazzani might have one useful thing for us, whereas Tony Kelly has none. So, you know, no life advice from either, but maybe something else. Um, Dennis said, most likely to get a takedown on the card. Um, Let's see. Fluffy Hernandez. Um, I think someone in the Hooper and Fiore fight is going to get a takedown, and I won't be surprised if Natalia Silva got one either. Uh, Renee said, Dan, the man about to watch your show right now. I appreciate you, Rain Man. Thank you, bro. Uh, also, he asked me, how's the real estate going? It's going well, man. It's going well. Uh, just a couple more things I need to iron out, and I'm right there. But, you know, it's got good contacts, and I'm in a really good place. So I really appreciate you asking that. Um, my boy, Tehran. It's, it's been a while since I've seen you in here, Tehran. He said, what's going on, bud? Chilling, man. I, I appreciate you being in here, for real. Um. All right, so I guess that's it. Thank you guys very much. Dirty Rex, a great show. Thank you. Ghost Gardner said, great show this week. MMA Locker, when will we see Shaq back for one show? Y'all, y'all ask me this like this is like, like my choice, dude. Shaq retired from podcasting. Shaq left the show, so I mean, I'm grateful for his time on the show, but like, y'all are asking the wrong dude, man. I don't fucking know. Y'all got to ask him that question, you know. Uh, but I mean. The show must go on and the show will go on, you know, just like I'm not going to really get into it much because I felt like I was badly discredited when that whole thing went down, like acting like, you know, like I didn't start this fucking show like a couple of years prior to him joining. But I got all the respect for him and he was a great part of this show. Um, he's so super knowledgeable on MMA and he's just a good dude. So I respect him a lot, but uh, just make sure you get your facts straight in terms of the chronological history of this show and uh, know that the show must go on. The show will go on and I'm always down to deliver for you guys. So thank you. Uh, Uncle Weezy said, thanks, Dan. No, thanks, Uncle Weezy. Let's get you on here soon. Addicted to combat. Cheers, Dan. Hey, let's get you on here too, man. You know, I appreciate you having me, uh, you know, last week or whenever it was. Tehran said, don't you have Mexican in you? Yeah, my mom was born and raised in Mexico, and my grandmother, rest in peace, was born and raised in Mexico. But I'm first-generation American. Um, So, yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you guys. Smash the like button if you haven't already. Subscribe if you haven't already. Leave me a comment when this is over. 
And if you're so inclined and you want to be very nice, um, share this. That'd be great too. So thanks again. Capping service says appreciate the content. Capping service, I appreciate you enjoying the content. I appreciate you appreciating the content. Thank you all again. So best of luck to y'all. Have fun this weekend. Enjoy the fights. And let's cash these bets.